You're listening to a North Valley Church podcast. Thanks so much for joining. For more information and resources, you can visit us online at northvalley.org. today. favorite parts, but I think I really like the zip line. My favorite memory of UCYC this year is probably when you go to camp, you definitely get really close with the people you're going with. My favorite part of camp, it was probably like the community. My favorite memory of camp was the zip line and conquering my fears. My favorite part about camp was um, probably a lot of the activities. The activities were really fun. I'm definitely getting to know the people and getting out with them and then just all the connections I made and getting closer to God. Sometimes you just go and even if you're a strong Christian or even if you're not really strong in your faith, God will speak directly to you. I don't know, I just feel like my relationship is, with God has been a lot more closer. We like talk to you about like um, removing like toxic people from my life and like trying to like change things and um, better myself. I really like the messages. Like I, I thought I thought the pastor did really good on it and I really and I really liked how the worship team was. Every single year camp will meet me where I'm at. If I'm strong in my faith, if I'm like feeling on fire for God or even when I'm not. And it's just like such a refreshing thing. And I'm so glad that I've gone every year. The messages um, that we were being, being taught, I felt like they really spoke to me and like the people around me. Just some of the stuff you said clicked with me. And I realized I needed to work on myself and work on some of the stuff I was doing wrong. Takeaways I have is like trusting God. That was just like the main, like that's just like the reoccurring thing that I just felt at camp. Takeaway, uh, trusting God up to God what, what he does with you. Like, he has a plan for you, so just know whatever happens, it's God's plan. God loves me and God is always there for me and like no matter what other people think and what other negative things that people can say, that that doesn't matter and it what matters is what God thinks about you. When I conquered my fears, remember Sam called it conquering Goliath, like I was, like I was conquering Goliath of it. You know, I just felt God's presence at camp. My overall favorite thing was probably like the atmosphere. God there, it was, it was, it was incredible. It was so cool. All right. Well, good morning, good morning. Good to be with you guys. All right, if you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and open it up. We're in John chapter 13. Uh, this morning, what I want to do is I want to uh, teach you about what servant leadership looks like. Um, Leadership is in a crisis in our culture because it's a very confusing topic oftentimes. And so this morning when we look at this topic of servant leadership, we're looking in the case study in the Gospel of John. So John chapter 13 is where we're going to be this morning. If you've got a Bible, especially if you've got a smartphone, go ahead and open it up on the app. I want to encourage you to do that. Download the North Valley app. We'd love to have you guys uh, get on that and utilize all the resources there. John chapter 13, we're going to go 3 through 17. Uh, today I'm teaching you about servant leadership. How many of you would say that you are a quick learner? Would you raise your hand? How many of you would be honest and say, I'm not a very fast learner? Raise your hand. Yeah. Okay, there's an onslaught of do-it-yourself YouTube videos, and this is why I think we really need a visual a clarification of how to do something. Um, how many of you used YouTube before just to help you get something done? Raise your hand. 
Man, it's cool. It, it is like a school of YouTube for do-it-yourself. Uh, growing up, I was a slow learner. I wasn't the greatest student. I struggled in classes. In junior high, high school, I was a class clown, uh, became a rebel rouser. Um, but I learned from my mistakes, um, but it took a lot of pain and trials. Um, in today's message, what I want you to do is be able to understand that sometimes learning, it takes, it takes, it's a process. There's phases to learning, especially when it comes to spiritual matters. Um, today, we're learning about this idea of humility and service. The name of the message is, is Five Phases of Learning, Servant Leadership, and the High Calling of Service for All Christians. Um, what teaches us about servant leadership? Oftentimes, it's seeing somebody else serve, watching them, thinking about how they are making an impact in somebody's life, that really has an imprint upon you in your service. I want to paint the picture and set the context to catch you up. It's the Last Supper. It's the Passover. It's 33 AD. It was the year, the very week that Jesus Christ would die. In fact, it's within 24 hours that he'll go to the cross. The public ministry of Jesus is over. It's from John chapter 13 all the way continuing on to chapter 21. It's a private instruction to Jesus and his disciples recorded in the gospel of John. It's the Last Supper, the event in which we're studying. It's this gathering where Jesus gathers during Passover season. It's Thursday night, and they're in some little upper room in a home in Jerusalem, the, the city is flooded. Some commentators say up to three million people are gathered into this city, crammed in. They're swelling with activity. There's rumors of rebellion. Tensions are high, real high for Jesus and his disciples. And the Passover was a time to commemorate and to celebrate the historical event that took place in which God intervened in the lives of the Israelites back in Egypt, back in 1476 B.C., it was a sacred tradition for Jewish people to commemorate this climactic intervention when God delivered the 10th plague uh, to the, uh, in the book of Exodus and punished the Egyptians by killing all the firstborn. And then the angel passed over the firstborn of the Israelites when they had wiped blood over the doorposts. It was the Passover uh, that the Last Supper would happen. It's the Passover time. It's the Last Supper in which Jesus would wash his disciples' feet. It's the Last Supper. It's the Thursday night in which Jesus would demonstrate what it looks like to be humble and to be a servant. During this time, there would be food that would, uh, they would commemorate the time with uh, sharing scriptures, eating a roasted lamb, unleavened bread, bitter herbs, um, and they'd have four cups of wine in this evening. Uh, there was also singing of psalms and prayers. It was a special time of significance, and Jesus is going to wash feet. Uh, that would have been reserved for the lowest of the low, the servants. So let's jump in, John chapter 13, verses 3 through 17, and then I'm going to walk through and share with you uh, phases of ministry. Here we go. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. 
And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand, but afterward you will understand. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on the outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I've given you an example that you should also, that also you should do just as I have done. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray for your Holy Spirit and the um, power of illumination in this room today, all hearers uh, and viewers online and here present or in the Ramada. Uh, Lord, we pray just for illumination of Scripture. Teach us these truths. Strengthen us. In the mighty name of Jesus, everybody said, amen. What would be the problem of learning about servant leadership? What's the problem in learning sometimes? How many of us can honestly confess that when we should be learning something, we're distracted or we're preoccupied with something? Especially during football season, right? <laughs> Head church. You're like, praise the Lord. The pastor said we're using a, an iPhone or a phone for our sermon notes. I'll just scroll over and check the stats real quick. Uh, what was the problem in learning on that last supper, the night of Passover? They were preoccupied. Their minds were distracted. In Luke chapter 22, verses 24 through 27, they had this big argument the disciples did about who's the greatest. They're literally fighting on the very night about who's going to be the greatest. And it's Peter's, like, going to toe-to-toe, toe -to -toe, like, Jesus is choosing me, man. John's like, no, he's choosing me. They're all arguing. Every single one of the disciples are disputing about who's going to be the greatest. They wanted Jesus to roll in and create a new kingdom on earth. They wanted Jesus to overthrow Rome. They wanted him to uh, reform the Jewish uh, faith and be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That's what they wanted, and they wanted to know who would be the greatest. That's what preoccupied them. When we see the problems in learning today, when we look at the case study of Peter and Jesus washing Peter's feet, know this he's preoccupied. He's preoccupied with that. Uh, the guys that had a bunch of bad models for leadership, I mean, you're talking about Caesar Augustus was basically claiming he was God. I mean, the model for leadership was if you're a leader, you have subjects and you're equivalent to deity. Um, Jesus did everything completely backwards and enlist his disciples into what's called, I'm going to call a servant leadership school. And he's going to wash their feet as an object lesson. What is servant leadership? Servant leadership can be defined like this. It's taking the initiative for the benefit of others. 
It's taking the initiative for the benefit of others. That's exactly what Jesus Christ did. That's what he does. Servant leadership is about serving others. Servant leadership is about taking the initiative to help other people. Servant leadership is about prioritizing people's interests above your own. Servant leadership is about showing empathy and understanding to people. It's about focusing on others' success and valuing their success. Servant leadership is focused on building, not breaking down. Servant leadership is about serving for you and me. It's about serving Jesus Christ and the people God puts in our lives. See, the idea of servant leadership comes from the idea throughout Scripture called servanthood. It's a mega theme throughout Scripture. Just as the Son of Man would not come to be served, but help me out, but to what? Serve. Um, Jesus Christ sets the ultimate example in servant leadership. Uh, The Apostle Paul taught on humility and service and told all the churches and the leaders to do it. Jesus taught that if you wanted to be great, you needed to be, if you wanted to be first, you got to be what? Last. When you serve, you build up the church, ladies and gentlemen. When you serve, there's also a reward. The Bible talks about reward. Colossians 3, 23 through 24, whatever you do, do it with all your heart is for working for the Lord, knowing that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It's no shocker to see that Christian service is essential um, today. Um, The Bible's filled with all sorts of examples. Let's look at the passage through the lens of learning, learning in phases. I think there's five different phases in learning for each and every one of us, especially when it comes to servant leadership. Number one, the first phase is demonstration. If you're going to learn something, you need to see somebody do it. This is the best way that you can learn is when you watch somebody do what you're about to do. This is why they watch film over and over and over again in the athletic arenas. This is why, I mean, you ask uh, people like Tiger Woods and like, hey, man, what made you good? And he'll talk about thousands and thousands of swings, thousands and thousands of practice, viewing and watching the pros and watching people do it. Demonstration. If you want to learn something, you've got to look to something. In this phase, Jesus is going to provide a clear example of what it looks like to be a servant. The Scripture tells us that Jesus begins to take off his outer garment. This would have been a very nice robe, only reserved for the highest and the richest of rabbis. Most likely, somebody gave it to him. It was a seamless robe, according to John 19, 23 through 24. He takes that off, and he does three things. But let's look back at the text for a moment, verses 3, 4, or 13, 3, or 13, 4 through 5. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God, meaning he was about to die, verse 4, he rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel, tied it around his waist, then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Three things Jesus does. Number one, what he does is he lays aside his outer garments. Number two, he ties a towel around his waist. Number three, he started washing feet. He laid aside. He laid aside his power, his privilege. He took, takes off the robe, that beautiful, rich robe. He takes that off, and he puts on a towel. So like, if you go back and hang out with the dishwashers at a restaurant, they've got their gear on. 
And they're sitting there, and they're, they look like servants. They look like the people you don't let out at the host spot. You just keep them in the back. That's what Jesus did. Three leadership lessons on this. Number one for you, this isn't on the screens, but if you're a note taker, check it out. Lesson number one, serving is always, isn't always about finding your sweet spot. Sometimes in churches, sometimes in life, we think, well, I want to serve, but I, my gifts ought to be utilized. Amen? We say that. Like, hey, I feel like I'm being underutilized here. Well, welcome to the club. Jesus definitely wasn't being fully utilized in this moment. Um, he doesn't access all his intellect, his education. He's just washing somebody's feet. That's all he's doing. Jesus didn't find his sweet spot in serving, and neither do you. When you're serving in a church or you're serving in any organization, sometimes you just need to help where there's help that is needed. Amen? You just, you just got to fill a spot. That's all it is. You're just helping meet a need. You want to know what God's will is? Look around you and ask, what are the needs around me, and how can I help make a difference? Um, Jesus didn't find his sweet spot, neither you. Lesson number two, I think it's about perspective. Sometimes we don't want to um, serve because we don't think it's significant enough. I heard a story about a work crew that had gathered to do a mission trip in an impoverished community, and there's guys working all day long, and a stranger stops by and talks to one of the guys and says, hey, what are you doing? And the first guy grumbles, and he says, I'm just mixing cement. The stranger walks a little further and talks to the second guy. He says, hey, what are you doing? What are you guys up to? And the second guy responds. He says, well, we're building a foundation, and then there's going to be walls, and then hopefully a roof. And then the next guy, he goes to him. He says, what are you guys doing, man? And he says, uh, we're, building a, we're building a church. It's going to bring life to this community. It's going to change everything for these people. Sometimes serving is about perspective. Lesson number three, you've got to lead by example. That's exactly what Jesus was doing. Uh, Stephen Covey wrote a book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. One of the most important things he mentions in that book is the importance to lead by example. The greatest act of humility um, would be embedded in the disciples' minds when they're watching their Lord and Savior wash their feet. Phase two, I think there's objection. Anytime you're learning, there's an objection. If there is no objection, you're probably not truly learning. But objection, let's jump into the second phase. It's the phase that every leader must face. Uh, let me illustrate this with a real modern-day story. Think of the many great entrepreneurs that face objections to their ideas in college. I studied different uh, leaders that face objections. Uh, one guy by the name of Fred Smith, the story goes like this. He visited the University of Arkansas. He presented his ideas about transportation and mailing to, to the U of A business school. They said, it's not a good idea. It'll never work. He went to Little Rock National Airport and said, hey, I, got a, I think I got a brilliant idea. I can start this transportation company. Little Rock Airport said, no, I don't think that's a good idea, Fred. It'll never work. Fred, discouraged, but undeterred, got in the car and drove to Memphis and started what we would know now today as the large, one of the largest transportation companies in the world, FedEx. Objection. A lot of people will object to the ideas. Let's read who objects to Jesus in this servant 
leadership school. Verse 6, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but after, afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Peter's response to me is a startling one. All the disciples have had their feet washed, but then when it comes to Peter, Peter's like, oh no, uh-uh, hey, no. Jesus, <laughs> it ain't happening. Um, the other disciples are probably like, man, you're interrupting the Messiah. You were, you were messing up his object lesson. Little did he know he would illustrate it perfect in so many ways. Peter objects in two ways. I want to point this out. Peter's objection to the Lord in his ministry. First, Peter is questioning the Lord. Do you think it's a good idea to question the Lord? If the Lord says to do something and he's doing it, should you interrupt and say, no, 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 no. If you were there, shouldn't you just silently sit there and let it happen rather than try to tell Jesus what to do? If you're an employer and you have employees that give you lip every time you tell them to do something or you're about to do something, they say, hey, uh-uh, no, 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 we're not doing that. Then you got a problem. This happens, and it reminds me of like when your seven-year-old becomes an expert. It's like a young kid that starts to question mom and dad when driving. They're like seven years old, and suddenly they become an expert. Uh, I've seen kids advise parents on the best routes to take home, how to parallel park, who, who, who knows how to get there the right way. Uh, this is worse than a backseat driver problem. Peter's got some problems. Um, objection number one is Peter questions Jesus. He says, Lord, do you wash my feet? What's this mean? Why is Peter questioning everything? The other disciples received a foot washing. Why does Peter have to speak up? I believe Peter questioned the Lord for several reasons. I'll give you four real quick. Number one, he questioned because of cultural expectations. This is not normal. Mas masters do not wash the servants' feet. The Messiah, he knew that was King Jesus, shouldn't be doing this. Number two, respect for Jesus. He really admired Jesus, loved him. He was loyal in so many different ways. He knew this was something that was reserved to honor somebody, and if the person washing the feet is the one washing the feet, that's dishonorable. So he did it out of respect. Number three, I think Peter did it because of his personality. This is impetuous Peter. This is impulsive Peter. Number four, he did it because he was confused. He was confused about the significance of foot washing. He didn't understand. And, you know, Peter had lots of questions. You know, out of all the disciples, he's the one who asked the most questions. Nobody is recorded to ask as many questions to Jesus than Peter. In Matthew 18, 21, he said, Lord, how often will we ha I have to forgive my brother when he sins against me? In Matthew 19, Peter says, Lord, we've left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Asking in a sense of what's my return on my investment, Lord? And then the last question I want to highlight is in John 13, 36, we'll get to later. He says, Lord, 
Where are you going? What do you mean you're talking about leaving? Peter was wanting to know about the destination of Jesus, and Peter's response expresses his eagerness to stay devoted to Christ. And he says, Lord, I'll follow you anywhere. I'll lay down my life for you, in which Jesus is going to respond and say, Peter, you're going to deny me three different times before the rooster crows. This is the guy with all the questions. Not only does he have lots of questions, uh, but he also denies Jesus. Peter denies Jesus here for the first time. Let's review the passage. Look back at the passage. Peter asked his question, Lord, do you wash my feet? And we read verse 7, Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you do not understand, but afterward you'll understand. In other words, Jesus is saying, Peter, you're not going to get it right now. Don't try. It's okay. Just wait a little bit. But Peter is persistent. And let's look what it says. There's, Peter says in verse 8, you shall never wash my feet. That's what he says. He denies. The Greek scholar Kenneth Woos translated Peter's statement by this saying, you shall by no means wash my feet. No, never. That's a double negative. It's like saying, never ever are you going to do this. It's like the Taylor Swift song when she tells her deadbeat boyfriend off by saying, we are never ever getting back what? You know it. You probably have it on your playlist. It's worse, though, because this is Peter, the disciple, telling Jesus off. No, Jesus, no, never. It is not happening. Who is Jesus to say something like this to the Lord? He doesn't understand. See, I want to share with you something that is very powerful, that understanding that there is a ministry in receiving, just as there is a ministry in giving. Um, I heard a story about an Anglican priest who was on his deathbed, and when one of the parishioners came to the hospital and asked him a question in his final hours, they said, Father Henry, in all of your Christian ministry and service, what do you wish you would have done different? You've traveled the world, you've served so many people, what would you take back? What's the one thing you would do different? And without hesitation, Father Henry said, I would have learned to receive. I've learned to give but I've not learned to receive. Just as there is a ministry in giving, there is a ministry in receiving. And as a ministry leader or a leader, it's hard sometimes to let other people serve you. Can you testify to that? Sometimes it's hard to let other people serve you. Peter had a hard time letting him serve him. Um, Peter thought way too much of himself, very preoccupied with his power and his position. The Anglican minister goes on to say, I wish that I would have received more of people's love in my life. Being here the last few weeks in the hospital, I'm, I see the value of letting people help. I want to encourage you just for a moment, don't block a blessing. If somebody is trying to serve you, let them serve. Um, there's a ministry in giving and there's a ministry in serving. Phase three, there's correction. So there's phase one, there's phase two, there's phase three, and there's correction. The Lord's going to correct. And every single one of us need to be corrected when we're learning. Um, that's just part of the process. In response to Peter's question in denial, Jesus offers a correction. This is the third phase of learning. Jesus has already said back in verse 7 that Peter would not understand everything at this point, but in time, he would. Still, it's interesting, Peter's refusal to listen is obvious. 
Let's look more closely at the passage. Look in your scripture, verse 8. Peter's going to try to deny Jesus the opportunity to teach humility and service through a real-life demonstration of what servant leadership is all about. Uh, Peter says, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answers him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. What's Jesus doing? He's correcting. He says, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And saying this corrective statement, it had to sting. It had to hurt for those words to come across Peter's ears. Peter was stunned. He was shocked. It was like a a man slap to that burly bearded disciple, Peter, the rough and tough fisherman from Galilee. What, what, what are you talking about? There's a correction. You see, a washing was symbolic of something far more than just a gesture of kindness or friendship. There was a deeper meaning that Jesus was trying to teach that he would be the only one that could wash away the sins of mankind, that by believing and accepting this ministry and message of Jesus, one could receive eternal life and be cleansed. But perhaps Peter is grasping this at some level. In verse 9, look in the Scripture. It says, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Peter's like bipolar. One moment he's like, you don't wash my feet? No, never. Okay, wash me all, all the way. Uh, he went from a foot washing, rejection, to a full-on, give me a bath, Lord. What just happened? Peter passed the phase of correction, and he moved into the phase number four, phase of realization. He got it. See, in learning, right, there's an aha moment. You've been there before where you're like, Ah, I got it. I get it. This is that for Peter. Servant leadership, school, 101, Jesus is taking them through learning phases. The great news in all of this, ladies and gentlemen, is that you're like Peter. You're not perfect. You need a lot of help. I need a lot of help. We got lots of questions. When I went to seminary, I sat on the front row. When I was in college, I sat on the front row because I screwed up through junior high and high school, and I was constantly that guy raising my hand, asking questions. I recorded every lecture and listened to it a couple of times before I went back to class the next time. I was EGR, extra grace required. I needed a lot of help. Peter is that guy, but he has the realization, the aha moment. This shows the heartbeat of Peter. There's three things I want to highlight when Peter says, Lord, not just my feet, my hands, and my head as well. First, it shows Peter's passion. He's a passionate person. He loves Jesus Christ. Number two, it shows Peter's personality. He swings from extremes. (laughs) He's just uh, an impulsive person. Lastly, I think it highlights to you and to me, it's Peter's progress. He's making some progress. He's getting it. He's growing. But Jesus' correction and then Peter's aha moment leads to a deeper connection. See, after um, the Lord confronted Peter, then Peter gets closer to the Lord. 
that's, that's the way it works sometimes. Sometimes when the Lord reproves you or disciplines you, it hurts for a little bit. That man slap bothered Peter, but then the next thing you know, he's like, Lord, I'm all in. Whatever you want to do, huh, you wash the disciples' feet, you can wash me from head to toe. And he's ready to go. Number five, there's a phase called education. It's the final phase. Final phase the disciples receive further and in-depth education, understanding from Jesus. And for you and me, if we're to grow in our calling to serve God, it's going to require an education. Learning from our rabbi, our master, Jesus. So far, Jesus has provided an excellent demonstration of humility and service. Amen? So far, he's provided an excellent demonstration of humility and service. He has faced the objections of Peter. He has offered correction, which led to further connection and realization, and now he's going to offer the real education can begin. Sometimes in life, you will not learn until you hit kind of your roadblock, right? Like, until, like, like it's a good idea for you parents not to send your kids to college unless they want to learn, right? It's a good idea for you to be hungry to work and have that ambition and drive if you're going to get something out of it and make a contribution and a difference. Jesus is only going to start explaining things when it's very clear that they're hungry and ready to learn. The realization, the aha moment has happened. Phase four, passed, good to go. Let's do the education. Phase five. Let's look at the remaining text, verses 10 through 17. Uh, Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash. Let me slow this down just for a minute. Two kinds of meaning I think here is when Jesus says the one who is bathed does not need to wash, he's, he's about ready to teach them what in the world is he doing, why is he doing it, and what does this mean? Two meanings behind that phrase when Jesus says the one who has bathed does not need to wash. Literally what that means, culturally what that means, hey guys, <clears throat> when you show up at a dinner party, um, the assumption is, culturally speaking, is that you took a bath. And you don't need to be washed again once you get to the party because you've already bathed. That was normal, right? If you're going over to somebody's house, don't you stop for a minute and go, hey, I got to get cleaned up. You go to the mirror, you look at yourself and say, need to brush my hair. Uh, you know what? Before I brush my hair, I'm going to get in the shower, and then I'm going to brush my hair and clean up. There's a literal meaning here, meaning that once somebody comes over to a, a gathering like this, they don't need to take a bath because they've already taken a bath. When Jesus says the one who is bathed does not need to wash, he means if you've already bathed, you don't really need one. However, there's a deeper spiritual meaning that's going on. The spiritual metaphor that's at work here is in regards to salvation. It's the one who has already been saved needs not to be saved again. It's the one who has already believed and received Jesus Christ as Lord, has experienced the cleansing power of Christ, has been forgiven of sin, has the assurance of salvation, and God has graciously provided a righteousness that comes from God to mankind, to all who believe, to all who receive Him. It's a righteousness known as imputed righteousness of Christ. You're clean, is what he's telling Peter. The believer has complete forgiveness of sins. The believer has been washed and made anew. 
They have been forgiven of their sins. They've been cleansed. They've been made new. The old is gone. And behold, the new has what? It's come. That's the deeper meaning here. And that's only, that had to happen in phase five. But then there's something else that says, verse 10, look back at it. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed needs not to be washed, need a wash, except for his feet. Huh? The only thing that Peter would need, he doesn't need a full wash. He needs his feet washed. What's going on there? Two things, literal, spiritual. Literally, they had a bath. They cleaned up. But when they're walking those dirty streets, guess what gets dirty? Help me out. Your feet. I almost wore sandals today to try to illustrate this. My wife's like, no, don't wear those. Uh, his feet were dirty. Literally, that's what needed to happen, the foot washing. Spiritually, what does that mean? That means in life as a believer, you're going to walk down some dark roads. That means in life as a believer, there's still a need, even though you've been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, that you've been forgiven of your sins, you've been saved, you've been forgiven, you've been imputed to righteousness that is not your own, you still get your feet dirty. You still sin against other people. You still struggle with sin within you. You need a washing. Well, what do you need washed? Your whole body? No! You just need to be cleansed through confession and repentance. As a believer, that's what you got to do, man. You, you don't get healed unless you deal with it. The Bible says you confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. The prayers of a righteous person have power in them. If you're going to deal with it and get healed with it, you're going to have to deal with it. You're going to have to talk to somebody. If we confess our sins, he's faithful to uh, forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But the sad thing is not everybody is clean. Not everybody who says, I'm a believer, is clean. Look what it says in the text. Let's read verses 10 through 11. And you are clean, Peter. That's what he's talking to. You're clean, and he's probably going like this down the road. You're clean, you're clean, you're clean. And he gets to the 12th guy, and he's like, you ain't clean. And who's he talking about? Verse 10 through 11, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew, John adds this, verse 11, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. He's referring to Judas, which you're going to learn about next week. Don't miss sermon part three, betrayed by a believer. Together, we're going to address the pain and the hurt of betrayal, examining Judas's betrayal and learning valuable lessons. Let's look at the closing lessons, though. Verse 12 in closing. Reading your scripture, reading the Bible. When, when he had, had washed their feet and put on the outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done for you? I mean, they're probably sitting there like, uh-huh, uh-huh, no, no. But he asks the question. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for, I, for so I am. If then Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example, but that you should also do that as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. In other words, do this and you will be blessed. Jesus says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. 
I want to help you simplify it. Two things I think that you can do to find God's blessing. Number one, I would say, is serve like Jesus. Let that be your example. In your work, in your family, at church, serve like Jesus. Sometimes that means you're going to be operating below your pay grade. Jesus was the richest man, the wisest man, and he does the most humble acts of service. And then he says, you do the same thing. You want blessing in your life? You serve like Jesus Christ. Right now in our church, we have got some critical needs. Our Thursday night services are ramping up. The intent behind that is to reach more people for Christ. Every time I get up to preach, I'm teaching to educate believers and make a message that is sensible to the seeker. And this valley needs people. This valley needs Bible teaching. People don't understand the Bible. That's why we've slowed it down and gone more in depth. People need more Bible. Help us do that. Help us provide biblical truth. Help other people discover truth for life. Help other people grow in their journey and grow in their journey. Help other people get out there and go make a difference. Number one, serve like Jesus. Right now, we're opening up our Thursday nights. We're preparing for that. August 17th, 24th, and 31st. There's critical needs, mission critical, meaning it won't happen unless people step up. Specifically, we have a Uh, a need in AV worship arts. Today, if you want to join me, I'm meeting with that team at 4 p.m. at my office. So come, if that's you and you want to help out. Number two, I would say confess and be clean. You don't get your feet cleaned unless there's confession. You walk through dirty areas of life. You got, some of you got some pretty dirty digital trails. If people search your browser history, you would be deeply ashamed. Hear this, the words of Jesus, what he said to Peter. He said, Peter, you're clean, but you still need a foot washing. Um, For you, you need to confess and be clean. What does that mean? That means seek the Lord and, and then find somebody that you can confide in. Find a very safe, godly individual The Bible says, uh, confess your sins to one another. It doesn't say confess your sins to everybody. Just confess your sins to one another. What is one another? It's one of those dearly cherished, loved, appreciated, mature brothers or sisters in Christ. It's a counselor. It's a pastor. It's somebody. Why? Because when you do that, the Bible says that you can find healing in that. It's important to be a part of a church and be a part of a community at North Valley Um, I want to encourage you to get involved, serve, give, get into a small group. Uh, Right now, we're ramping up our student ministries and our kids' ministry more than we ever have in North Valley's history. I've got a very important announcement to make and want to share with you how you can be involved. Um, For about a year, we've been working to hire a new next generation, full-time pastor that would oversee all of North Valley kids and all of North Valley students and would assist the current teams that are already in place. So this would be a pastor that would join the team who has a full calling on his life to invest into kids, to invest into students, invest into leaders that are going to go out and do the same. Um, I'm grateful to share with you that we found that guy and he will be hired August 1st. I want to introduce to you on the screens, Nate and his wife, Carolyn. And uh, this is a great young couple. Um, they, Nate has worked in churches uh, for a number of different years. 
an awesome guy. Uh, his wife is Carolyn. She works uh, in NICU uh, in a hospital nearby. Um, they've been married for some time now. They just got their first house, and they're coming on full-time um, as of August 1st. The current team, Trevor, Kelsey, and the rest of the team, they're going to stay involved and stay on the team. And next week, I'm going to share with you some incredible ministry that Trevor's doing outside of North Valley and how we can be a part of that. But Trevor actually recommended this guy, found this guy, and pointed him to me, and I said, let's hire. So let's celebrate that find. Um, and I'm asking that you all get involved. Get involved. Help make a difference. I want you to find your sweet spot at North Valley, but I want you to maybe more than not just serve. You can utilize all your gifts, your passion. Oh, I love youth. Then great, go do it. Some of you, you're like, I don't love youth, but I do love the church, so I'll serve the youth. That's washing feet. It's not like Jesus was like, oh, Peter, I love washing feet. Even the dirt under your toenails, woo! That was not his sweet spot. Um, find a spot serve. There's lots of needs. Let's build this church for the glory of God. Amen. Lord, thank you for your word today. I do pray that we would live it out. I love you, and I know everybody here loves you too. We pray for your blessing and favor on our time together as we proceed with communion and giving. Lord, for those that have not yet given, I pray that they would start giving. Those that are already giving, I pray they would give generously and faithfully. I pray that those that are already giving, Lord, that they would move towards the tithe. Those that are tithing would move beyond the tithe. God, I pray for our community. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to support North Valley Church by partnering with us through giving, you can do so by visiting us online at northvalley.org. Thanks and have a great day.